Alright, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 251. Jason Lingren is with me. Uh, we're going to talk about a number of things, primarily the sun. Uh, but actually, at the end of the second hour, we had uh, roughly 30 minutes to fill, and we're going to cover again some salient points about King Kill 33. And by the way, I'm happy to announce we have Michael Hoffman coming to give us an hour. Uh, that's a big deal. Uh, as far as I know, he's the only one around who knew James Shelby Downard. But his work alone is something else. So there's all that. So we put out a lot of ideas and there is a stark difference between some years ago when I was just posting clips and about half the audience was ready to start a fight about it. Um, and we've come a long way and it goes to show where we're headed because we really haven't talked about a lot of the things we laid down in 232. So we'll take it a little further here. I'll try to cite a couple sources better than I did in the last one if people want to look. It's not easy because a lot of these things, like I get handed so many PDFs that are extracts from other things, and that ends up being important. And I don't have the ability to cite those right now. Um, my library is so just massive, I can barely find anything in it. But uh, anything you want to add in before we jump in? Well, this episode is kind of a continuation from episode 232, and of course is going to reference certain things that you said there, but I'm very pleased to know that the subject matter of episode 232 went over so well. Well, it's, you know, you kind of inch in and you try to lay down common sense and proofs as you can to show that we've basically been brought up in a way where we ignore the most obvious things, and then worse than that, in some cases... Um, religious tradition, schooling, education, books, any number of things make parts of our life unaddressable for ridiculous reasons, if that's a word, which I'm pretty sure it's not. Um, but let's, let's pick up on one thing that I meant to put in the last episode and I didn't get to. In the Western society, we've lost another thing in culture that was dominant in a lot of cultures, and it's the idea of having some kind of a ceremony when a child is no longer considered a child and it's time for them to start taking on responsibility. Um, and as a matter of fact, movies will, will depict this as if a 13 year old young person, uh, getting some kind of a vocation, a craft or learning how to do something in life that they, they act like it's slave labor. And yet this was the way of things for so many years, but that's not really the main point. The main point is in our culture, um, how many people listening, made it to like 30 something and asked themselves, do I feel like an adult? I know I did. Um, I don't even remember how old I was, but way past the point where I should have been asking myself that question. And that brings us to all the cultures that held on to that. Um, there's the idea of a bat mitzvah or a bar mitzvah, which is still very prevalent um, in that culture. There's one, uh, what's it called? It's the Latin based with quinceanera. There are still quinceañeras in places in the South, which are similar things. Um, there are many, many ideas, but why is it um, that 13 is the magic number? Why is it that suddenly you become a teen? So the idea behind it, and again, I'm going to tell you what the older text said. Um, I don't for, have a certain way to verify this out, but listen to the logic of it, and you make up your own mind. The idea here is, and we've covered this in alchemical shows and other things, is basically in the alchemical point of view, when you're, when you're talking about spirit, in one sense, it can be your breath. 
basically your breath is your spirit. We've covered how when you go into the liquor store, every bottle of liquor says spirits. Well, it's the same idea going on there in a way. Um, it's how alchemy breaks down things in a more philosophical manner, uh, a better, better way from my point of view. So when a child is born, the idea is wherever they are in the cycle of a year, that first breath ingests their spirit. Now, the idea of no longer being a child and becoming a teen at 13, which remember from our last episode, stands in and its positive usage is the sun. The idea is that this child's now lived 12 cycles, and so they've experienced each revolution through each sign. That's the older idea that led to these things like quinceaneras and bat and bar mitzvahs, which has been so far, that, that idea is so far from anything most people are even willing to consider. But think about it. Uh, with everything we've said, if 13 stands as the sun, we're talking about a young person quits being a child when they've cycled through each cycle in the stations of the sun in a year. Um, is there anything to these ideas? But there's so much more. All these basic tenets that we've been shown by science that we don't, these are not optional things to accept when you're in school. When, when the sun and how our, our world works is explained to you, there is no open moment for you to challenge it. There just isn't. You're expected to memorize it and regurgitate it. And that's what we do most of our lives. So I'll take a little one excerpt from uh, the dwellings of the philosophers here, uh, which is attributed to Falconelli, whoever he is or whatever he was. It doesn't, doesn't matter. The ideas are what matters. Um, and this, I've read this in so many places now that I'm waiting for the day when I'm walking through the world and I find a well that's safe for me to go in at noon. And I'll, here's why. These ideas are expressed, I don't know, I've probably read them five, six, seven times in different old alchemical texts. Here's what Dwellings of the Philosopher says about the sun. If the sun were a globe of fire, as we are taught, it would be enough to approach it, even a little, to experience the effect of growing heat. Precisely the opposite occurs. High mountains remain crowded with snow, despite the heat of summer. In the elevated regions of the atmosphere where the sun reaches its zenith, the cupolas of hot air balloons are covered with frost and the passengers suffer from intense cold. So experience demonstrates that temperature goes down as altitude increases. Even light is only visible to us in as much as we are placed within its field of radiation. If we are outside the radiant beam, its action ceases for our eyes. Now it goes on, and here's, here's the part, I mean, that part I've read in a number of places, but this next one in so many places that I just want to try it if I ever can. It is a well-known fact that an observer looking at the sky from the bottom of a well at noon sees the starry night sky. Whence, then, do heat and light come from? From the simple shock of cold and dark vibrations against the gaseous molecules of our atmosphere. And since resistance increases in direct proportion to the density of the environment, heat and light are stronger on the surface of the earth than at great altitudes because of the strata of air is also denser. Such is at least the physical explanation of this phenomena. Now, in the book that I just referenced called The Dwelling of the Philosopher, anyone can get it. And by the way, if you end up having to go to Amazon, you could probably find a PDF. Um, don't buy the $200. There, there's versions that are like 20 bucks. 
if you end up going down this road. But the point of this book is to rebut all the science that was jammed down our throat that when it was taught to you, if you raised your hand and said, well, why? Uh, what about this? Uh, that wasn't going to fly. And so in the age we've come to now, man, everybody is challenging everything. So is it possible? that that first thing I just read is right. The sun's not a globe of fire, um, and they start to tell you why. Of course, science has cleverly told you that, oh, well, the atmosphere gets thinner, and so there's nothing for the heat to travel through. But yet, if you go back to the logic of what I've read, if you're standing on the ground and begin to go higher, you get further from the heat as you get closer to the sun. And this echoes back to a thing that we put into our movie Shoot the Moon, where there was an old Tibetan proverb which again points out a truth which is completely aberrant in the eyes of science. And what they said is the moon gets darker as it gets closer to the sun. There's all these things that we experience every day of our lives, and yet school and learning and our culture have very handily swept them off the stage with an improper impression of what they actually are. In the dwellings of the philosophers, what's actually being laid down for part of the book is the idea that, hey, man, what are all you chemists being rude to spagyricists and alchemists for? Because you don't exist. You stand on our shoulders. And so we're going to lay down some things that we can prove to this day, which you can't deal with. And one of the examples was wine. And I've said this three times. This will be the third time I've said this, but it's important. The scientist says to the alchemist, I'm going to tell you what wine is made of. And the alchemist says, go for it. So the scientist says, wine gives you back tannin, alcohol, and water in equal weights. That's what wine is. And so the alchemist says, hey, man, what's missing there? You're missing something. And the scientist says, nope. What wine is, is equal parts of tannin, alcohol, and water. And did I mention it's in equal weights? And the, and the you know, basically the philosopher says, not so fast. Where's the taste? Um, and he goes on to say, and I'll, I'll cite it from the book. The taste, the taste is the only thing that makes wine what it is, and so on with everything else. Because you have extracted three things from wines, gentlemen chemists, you say, wine is made of three things. Turn them back into wine, or else I say to you, these are three things which are made from wine. You can undo what you have done, but you will never remake that which you have undone in nature. Now, there is the crux of where we've come to. And this kind of cold surgical ideas of we can weigh it, measure it, but never a concern for nature. And so I think these sources are important for people because it gives a perspective, which is provable, um, some of it not unless you're at a certain level, but it never forgets nature. All right, what I'm doing here is I'm basically scanning through something like 700 pages of notes trying to extract the interesting things and things that I forgot yesterday. But let's talk about some things. People have fear about things they don't understand. And whenever anyone says the great work, their eyes glaive over, they say, oh, those evil masons, and they say all these things. But let's get back before all that. Let's, I'll lay down right here one of a few different uh, definitions of the original great work, not kind of the Masonic, what I consider perverted version of it, the self-centric version of it, which, by the way, pretty much discludes half the population um, actually, more than that, because very few women are involved in it, um, which goes to show the fraud, in my view. Um, these things should be open to everybody if they're real, if they're verifiable, if they're beneficial. Um, and that sets aside the problems I have with calling most of the world profane. Um, you were born here, too, 
whoever's saying that. But um, here is one example. Um, Key of Destiny is where I'm going to lift this, but it's pretty close in the other original great work ideas. So here's what they're going to they're going to claim it is. Alchemically, the number 12 pertains to the great work. Well, why would that be? Uh, I think this relates directly to our last episode where we're showing you the importance of the stations of the sun, where I corrected the fact um, that I had challenged the sign of Libra and then cast it aside temporarily, not knowing any better, um, which I now accept to be perfectly clear. The 12 signs are the 12 signs that we have to use legitimately, and I know why now. They were changed for our age. So, alchemically, the number 12 pretends the great work. The great work is before all things, the creation of man by himself. That is to say, the full and entire conquest of his faculties and high future. The great work has two major operations, the chief one being the transmutation of all base forces, like passions in ourselves, into spiritual gold, thus setting the soul free from all prejudice and vice. It's a pretty lofty idea. The second is a threefold mystical operation which cannot be performed until the first operation is completed. It consists of, firstly, the transmutation of all base metals into gold. Secondly, the production of the universal medicine, which cures all disease. And thirdly, the production of the philosopher's stone, which turns gold into everything it touches. This work is related to the number 12 because only a man gathers up the forces of the 12 signs of the zodiac and builds them into his life so that he can become something more and then become capable of the great work. And I would point out simple things like what about Harry Potter in the chamber pot? I mean the philosopher's stone. Do you see what's going on here? You can see, even in the modern era, efforts to minimize and commercialize and corporatize these ideas. And so what I'm saying is, I can't tell you for sure this is right, but I've read it in a lot of places that I just can't discount it. But I use this in the same way I measure those Eastern ideas that say, we're spending our whole life here for the benefit of all living beings. I don't need to know more. If that's true, I'm all about what you're doing. I hope you do well. That's a lofty ideal for me. So the idea that somehow you're setting a human soul free from prejudice and vice and that you can't even start to go on with the other steps until you've done that first step, I'm intrigued. You got me. Okay, I want to know more. You've got my attention. But as it goes on and it starts to tell you about taking base metals into gold, this is where people get lost. And if you do get the Falconelli book that I just told you, you're going to find out really quickly that you don't know enough to not know what you don't know. Um, and that's because of all the symbology and everything else in it. Um, and so there is an actual description, which I accept as much as I can, for what the great work is. Um, but it will say in later places that certain parts of this are not open for just public discourse. Um, what do you think about that description, Jason? Well, it's definitely quite a difference, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, by the time we get into the modern age and Hollywood's having a field day with it, people flying on brooms um, and little kids doing magic, and they mix the Philosopher's Stone idea, but it also tells you something else. I would be willing to bet. Um, I haven't really watched all those movies or paid attention to them, but I would be willing to bet that the alchemical ideas are hidden in the same way we can show the Zodiac. As a matter of fact, I'd be very surprised 
if complete zodiacal years were not in each episode or in, in some clever way. The Great Work seems to be something that, I don't know, a lot of secret societies are pretty obsessed with that concept. So interesting to see how they took that and went with it. It seems to be something different in my view. By the time we get up to modern masonry, I think everybody's suffered the same problem. Um, we've come through a lowering cycle and, you know, I don't know if everybody, if anybody escaped it, but certainly these kind of organizations and groups didn't. Um, they became very self-centric and basically rude um, to the rest of the world. And I'm not with you. If you're going to be that way to the rest of humanity, um, I'm just not with you. Uh, I've seen what I consider to be lofty ideals, the idea of a bodhisattva or, or other examples from other religions. Um, and to me, that's that's real. That's recognizing that that worm is not something you just go step on. It's here for a reason. Um, that's the reality of where we are. There's no extraneous things here. Every, everything's doing what it needs to do. And that's what we forget. You know, when I first got here to Rhode Island, the first thing I did was I fired Terminex. These guys were coming in. They were setting sticky traps, which would catch rodents, and then they'd let them starve to death. I couldn't believe I asked the dude, how do you live with yourself? You come in and see what you've done to a living thing. That's suffering you're causing. And he didn't blink an eye. Then he proceeded um, to go all the way around the house spraying poison. And I said to him, uh, what are you poisoning? Um, or what were you poisoning? Because it wasn't going to go on when I got here. And he said, oh, ants and insects. And, and I said to him, I said, do other animals eat those insects you've just poisoned? I said, you're basically poisoning the whole food chain. And by the way, um, there's a well in many of these properties around here. So I'm guessing the half-life on your poison is ridiculous. Um, so if it rains, that gets down into the water table, doesn't it? Completely oblivious. And that is the difference to me between where we have been and where we're about to be. And examples of that are, are how important organic foods are to people now. And when we say organic foods, it's like this new, it's ridiculous. Everything in this world up until what, what would you say, Jason, the 30s, the 40s? I don't know. Um, chemical fertilizer as used everywhere uh, is relatively new thing probably a bit beyond my lifetime, um, but we act like it's a special new thing. No, it's the way it was always done. And by the way, if you go to cultures that are old world cultures, still places like Korea or, or even places in Italy, um, you will see there is no chemicals being used on that food. It's part of their culture and they've managed to protect it. And that is part of how we've been fooled. How is it that all these known poisons we're so easily palmed off on all of us. It's going on right now. What's up with that hand sanitizer? Do you suppose in 10 years we're going to see repercussions from the millions of gallons of hand sanitizers, which everyone has been con convinced to basically pour out by the bucket load right now based on fear? Um, go look online at what's in those things. Go look at what some of the, the nat naturopathic doctors and homeopathic doctors are saying about the ingredients in there. And then there's the whole idea of is a human being part of the natural world or separate. If you're going to use the hand sanitizer, you're pretty much separating yourself because what you're saying is there's these little things in nature that if I get them in me, it's going to do me harm. You want to know when I wash my hands, and I'll be honest with you, if they're dirty and nasty or if I want to eat, I get a bar of just plain white soap. But at no other time am I concerned 
that I'm, I've picked something up, unless I've touched something nasty and noxious and I know it. But what were you going to say? Where are the environmentalists going bonkers about all the crap that's uh, being put into the refuse now because of ridiculous masks and all the other things that go along with it, all the extra bottles from the hand sanitizer, all of this? Where are the environmentalists saying, hey, this is a problem, all the stuff that we wouldn't have used just a few months ago? I don't hear them squawking like they should be. Well, someone was just, it's been all over the web. Where the hell's the ACLU been in any of this? Because it's all complete nonsense. It's all one-sided. It's a lie, basically. If we're going to be honest, it's a lie to get a reset or a takeover or whatever this actually ends up being. But we know there's a reset uh, afoot here. But yeah, I mean, what you're pointing out is provably unsustainable. And this is as they scream global warming and all these other things that they like to, you know, it's like the abortion or the race card. You're always going to get a rise. People are going to lose their damn minds. And then you can convince everyone to do these silly things. But it's a good point, Jason. How many millions of tons of unrecyclable waste or what won't be recycled waste uh, was just created on the tail of all this? Um, and, you know, it remains to be seen what the actual goal is, but I think we've reached a point where we can see there are boatloads and boatloads of people who are not down with what's going on, and some of them in positions where they're not so helpless. Um, though I would suggest that none of us are actually helpless, and we all have the ability and should be contributing where we want this to go. If the idea of the age, ending of the age of iron, is correct, which I'm, I'm sure it is. I just have no idea when, you know, all these people come and they say things and I say, give me a date, you know, and how did you get that date? So we can start working from a supposed line to try to find a place where you can actually hang your hat. And as I've said, it's one of the most hidden things, but, um, uh, it has been occurring to me lately that I should probably go back and read, uh, those, the Greek versions of the myths, not the Romanized ones, which everyone should know, um, and start to look for, because almost certainly the keys were put there, if I had to guess, and I am guessing. So one of the things you'll find in the oldest writings over and over and over and in different guises is that all these stories are being told to every society. Um, and at first, at first glance, most people in the West, we've all been taught to think we're better or the things we do here are better. But the truth is, if you're going to be honest about it, your culture, the way you dress, the way you speak, usually your religion is very dependent on where you happen to be born. That's an honest assessment. Um, but what happens is we listen to things like the talking head on the evening news who convinces us that these people over there, um, they're damn near animals. Um, and it's ridiculous. In these older accounts, what you'll actually find is that they're showing you that the same story has been told over and over. In the last episode, I showed you the 12 labors of Hercules, the 12 knights of the round table, and the 12 disciples of the Bible. And I told you these are at different authoritative levels. Um, the minutiae in it are either very varied or slightly varied, but I could go on and on and all day long. Have you ever considered that the myth of the life of Hercules strongly resembles some of the, the salient Bible feature stories of Jake, Jake, uh, Jacob? From the Old Testament, thus coloring to the idea both are myths intended to the same lesson and symbolizing the same divine truth. Um, and when you say these things, a lot of people get upset. But let's look at it logically, reasonably. 
Is it possible that the same story is told to all peoples because all peoples matter equally, regardless of where this race is going? And if I leave where I am and go to another culture, the pattern of speech, the pattern of thinking, the clothes we wear, the styles, the culture, all of it changes. So how is it that if there was a story with important teachings, that that wouldn't change with it? Why wouldn't the teacher pick up a different name and a different persona to fit the culture that has a chance to recognize what's being laid down? And I think an honest assessment by everybody should start to realize these things, because if it is true, and if someone can demonstrate to themselves that that's likely the case, then bigotry begins to fall away. And one of the things that's allowed this kind of world takeover to happen more than anything is fear coupled with bigotry. Coupled with the idea, as long as it's not happening to me, then I'm good with it. And that, to me, is a form of bigotry um, because you're not caring about your neighbor and you're forgetting the truth that what can happen to someone else in this world, it can damn well happen to you. It's just that we lived in the United States. We figured we were the people who did it to everybody else and that it would never be done to us. We sat around while I was in the Marine Corps perfectly okay with a nation being invaded by force on a lie, which we were later told was a lie, and we were still okay with look where we are now. So basically what's happened to them, a different version of that is happening to all of us right now. So if we had been at a point back then where we said, wait a minute, why are you doing this to these people? You have no right to do that to anybody. Maybe the outcome would have been different now. But the point is, is moving forward, how do we cast a blind eye? And if we do, basically from my point of view, what we're doing is saying, I'm safe for now, but this is going to come back around later, most likely to me. Um, I think that's the honest assessment. All right, let me draw from the key of destiny um, to just put out what people are claiming show you that these very old stories are mirroring each other. In this case, we're going to draw from the Old Testament or the old Jewish traditions, and we're going to pair it off with the old, what we call Greek traditions. What we're going to do is compare Jacob and Hercules. Here we go. Like Jacob, Hercules was one of twins, his brother, like Esau, being the son of a human father. Every child that is born brings to its birth these twins. The one, the child of the overshadowing divinity, which later in life becomes the incarnating soul of the child, hence Jacob, of the father in heaven and the animal soul of the physical body that functions, hence Esau. The progeny of the physical parents, for the parents furnish the only physical body, vehicle, and so forth, for the soul's use. Thus, literally, St. Paul tells us, the first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. This animal self is always the firstborn because, as we have explained elsewhere, until the age of 12, that child is merely a human not fully enveloped and overshadowed by an immortal soul. Yet the divine soul, once having obtained possession in its destiny to rule, or as expressed in the story of Jacob, acquires the birthright from his brother Esau. In the same way, in the story of Hercules, we find, I think it's Iphikes, the child of the human father, superseded by Hercules. And here's what St. Paul's going to say, very few people know it, in this allegory for the son. Those are the words of St. Paul. Um, and I think that most people in the Western tradition would put some weight on that. 
if they have been brought up in the most of the religious Western traditions that we have here. And this is the problem with what's gone on. There were many of the so-called big names in early Christianity that had all these important things to tell us, but this is not what we read. They got edited out. As a matter of fact, did you know that in early Christianity, there was an idea of reincarnation? That no longer exists. Did you know that in early Christianity, meditation was key, important, and the highest in that tradition were all about it? Usually the monks. Think about, as an example, the monk in his cell. Everybody's heard those stories or read those accounts. What's he doing in that cell? He's meditating on God on the word of God. What about the monk that takes the vow of silence? What about the vow of chastity? These are all forms of that same story that was told in the East that they called meditation and the yogi translated over to a different culture. And now they are going to make it what they are doing here, the path that they are creating and following. And these are key points. We need to quit being so divided, basically. So it goes on to say in the key of destiny, initiate the events of the sun in each sign of the zodiac are symbolized by the 12 labors performed by Hercules, which everybody knows. While in the Bible narrative, they are not performed directly by Jacob, but through his 12 sons, this being merely a variation of the same idea. This is where people get mad. What they're going to go on to say at some point in this is that there are master teachers that come here, and each one of them is going to teach a version of the same thing. That's how they're going to try to couch it so that people don't lose their minds. But anyhow, it closes out with saying, Even so, when we have truly conquered and balanced the heart qualities and our timid fear of giving offering or facing criticism from the world, we cover ourselves with the lion's skin of divine love and have the courage or convictions with no weapon. Even at the most dreaded of the tongue, uh, even at the most dreaded one of the tongue, or of the misunderstanding or disapproval, or all these things that print can penetrate our psyche. And they closed with that for people who don't know the myths very well, is because Hercules is proving to you that he's the son because he's wearing the Cleonian lion skin. It's called something else in other places. Basically, it's the sign of Leo, Leo the lion. Originally, it's claimed that Leo was the sign of the sun, and in the Jewish tradition, it's going to be reflected all day long in the tribe of Judah. And by the way, at some point when I get all this together to do the fall of Rome, that I think is more likely, you're going to find out that all the coats of arms all the way through Europe all have that lion, which goes all the way back to the Old Testament story and the idea of the tribe of Judah or the lion of Judah. Maybe we could think about the movie Ben-Hur in a way, because what are we looking at? Judah Ben-Hur, right? And what all is the lion supposed to be representing here? Well, if people have followed the thread here, it's directly correlatable for that time period to be the house of the sun, basically. Um, but it's also got all these meanings. Um, you know, it gets reused in Tarot and all these other old, old things. It's powerful, right? The lion's like the, considered to be the king, Um for those times. Maybe they didn't know about tigers. So I'm guessing tigers are a little bit tougher, but I don't know. Point is, is what they were familiar with. It was the king of beasts. No one messed with a male lion, basically. Um, and, and the other lions pretty much work for the male lion because they're so big. Um, and that became the idea of regal and royal and strength and all these things. But it's all derived on the same basis. 
and that's later encapsulated in a religion that translates into the Vatican, which I will cover. It's called Sol Invictus or Mithras. For the lower echelons of the soldiers and the workaday people, it was Mithraism. For the upper echelon and the betters, as they might have been known back in the day, it was Sol Invictus. And anyone can go and translate those words to basically get the idea that what they're saying is the invincible sun. Now, so many people would be surprised to know that the last Mithras or Sol Invictus temple was under the Vatican in a cave, by the way. There came a point when they just switched, the, they flipped the switch and they said it's illegal. But how it was done was since it was already what they called pagan, so everyone was basically involved in paying attention to aspects of nature. Where's Jupiter? Where is it right now in the Zodiac? Where's the sun in the Zodiac? It was very easy to impose Sol Invictus because it basically said that the sun envelops it all, which is the absolute idea of astrology from the beginning of time. There's all these forces and it's almost like the sun as a lens, you know, bringing them all together to deliver them down. So what they did is they played on what was going. They implemented Sol Invictus. They took control of damn near everything. They ensured the last I don't know what you call it, a temple or whatever you want to call the Mithras Sol Invictus place, and that was under the Vatican. There was a pope, by the way, and it had a name that basically meant pope, the father. And so when they flipped the switch in two or 300 AD is the claim, uh, they outlawed any form of pagan sun, you know, worship on that level that rec recognized nature, and they flipped it over to what the Vatican was doing. But here's the kick. Here's the kick right in the chops. They took the altar from the Sol Invictus Temple and they moved it into the Vatican. It's still there today. They took the funny hat off the Pope of Sol Invictus Mithras and they put it on the Pope. They took the name, they took it all, the vestments, and they put it right on the Pope. How many people are surprised to hear that? How come that's not a story that, that we sh we're all aware of? And it's because of marketing. It's because of control. And we're all living today in the same way because the evening news is going to come market us and control us with information. And yet, if we want to be adults and go back and search, we can find out these things. And so basically what it will come down to, and I'll, I'll spill the beans right here and now, is the temple, the old Solomon's temple got knocked over after it was up for 40 years. And by the way, for hundreds of years, it was in a different place called Shiloh. Um, and I'm not going to get into all that. They get dragged off into bondage. They come back. Some dude named Ezra rewrites all the old books of the Bible. And he edits them, by the way. And I think he edited them to hide that the priestly line from that temple wasn't Aaron. It was actually truly Moses. But be that as it may, then the Rome, Romans come, according to the history we're handed. And they, they snatch them all up again. There's this one guy, and this is where it gets problematic who apparently has money pull connections. And so under the supposed Roman Titus, this one guy, Josephus Flavius. Now here's where the problem comes because we know he lies. As a matter of fact, we know that there's good reason to wonder if he existed as a man in the way we're told. But again, the information is there and it doesn't matter. If, we're, if what we're saying is true, wouldn't you have to have milestones in the history to show what you did? If you did the takeover, I'm just saying. So Flavius ends up being the name of every Roman emperor to the end of Rome. 
and they all come from the same city, Pannonia or something like that. Not kidding. All the way up to Constantine. So he does a deal with Titus, and he rescues the 24 priestly families, which are in bondage once again under the Romans. Once that happens, this is where it all starts to go south. They begin to use their money, their influence, their banking, and they begin to infiltrate the upper reaches of the Roman society. They create a whole other class called the equestrian class. And, you know, you've heard Wayne McCroy talk, and he's always on about the horses. This is why. Because symbolically, esoterically, these are higher mental ideals represented in the equestrian idea. This equestrian class gets all these banking rights, and all, they just keep growing because it's a one-sided game, and they slowly displace the old pagan royalty or nobility, whatever you want to call them, until they're, they're basically taking control. And so then at one point, they're implementing Mithraism during all this. And the way they're doing it is all these upper people, these equestrian class, these other people that are up higher in society are doing the Sol Invictus things, and they run the military. So the younger military guys are being told there's this secret society that only you special people can be part of. And so that's how the Mithras thing starts, and they play it all the way up right into the Vatican. Meanwhile, the same bloodline is going into what founds the Vatican. It's, it's a hell of a yarn, and at some point I'll tell it, but... Think that's enough for there, Jason? Yeah, the whole Mithras thing is very interesting. It seems to have started over in India and spread all over, predominantly due to the Roman Empire's expansion, it would seem. But the, the thing is, is that it, it's really none of that's true. It's always been about the sun. There's all, yeah, there's always been a summer, there's always been a winter. But you see, if you go look at supposed layouts of what we call ancient Rome, you know, the idea of Caesar Rome, uh, you'll see these temples to Jove, to Jupiter, to Saturn. And, you know, this is just part of the branding. Oh, these idiots, they think there's a dude sitting on Mount Olympus called this. No, it was all esoterically encoding aspects of nature. So what they managed to do is they took these things and the sun was part of it and they focused it right to the sun, calling it the invincible sun, implemented in the military ranks, of course. Because there's where it would be appreciated the most, that idea, this thing that can't be beat. Um, and they slowly focused on Jove, Jupiter. These things, you, the, they, they are all subservient to the sun, which was already in the idea anyhow, because the forces of nature were, were viewed in a way as being focused down here by sun and moon. These kinds of ideas. So, really, the Mithras thing is just another... It's misinformation, most of it. Um, these, it, it. It was the narrowing of ideas that apparently been around for damn near forever, I think. Well, the sun worship concept probably is one of the earliest religious concepts. I have really no doubt about that. I mean, it was a great big thing up in the sky and kept you safe from things at night. I mean, it's, it is what it is. But those are the very words that have, have taught people, you know, sun worship, that little branding phrase right there um, that we just said, uh, that was used to great effect to make people think if they appreciated that part of nature that it was evil. You Somehow you're going to go burn in hell. But you see, that wasn't even accurate because while recognizing the sun is what's driving nature for the most part, there's other elements to it, but it's the primary force. Um, they were appreciating nature as a whole, and that's what needed to go away. And that's why natural sciences and alchemy, that all needed to be funneled away. As far as I can tell, the main player in that is the Vatican, though I'm only aware 
mostly of Western culture. Who knows what was going on in places like China and other things. But if the story that I'm going to try to lay down uh, and the parts that I was able to research is they set about replacing royalty at an incredible incredible speed um, to the point where the claim is made there's no royalty left anywhere you know what we would have recognized rightfully i guess is the word at some point uh, none of that existed for hundreds of years now none of that's existed the banking the money um, the power concerns just switch, switched it right over and what they did is they jammed their family line in so anytime you see a royal emblem with the lion of judah on it you should be thinking isn't Japan considered the Empire of the Sun, or at least used to be called that? It's still on their flag, house, you know, the, the rising sun. Um, and what was it in World War II? Supposedly you got the rising sun flag put on your plane if you shot down a zero. These kinds of ideas in that theater of war. But you see, that's the point I'm trying to make. I know quite a bit about Japan. I lived there for a while. Um, I appreciated the way that they viewed and tried to protect nature. It, it's become a bizarre place. Their love of technology and nature seems at odds with each other and robots and all the things they really get into. But nonetheless, you can still go find farming done right. Uh, miso made as it was Lord knows how many centuries ago. These types of ideas. And I think that's important um, to recognize nature. But the original kind of Shinto ideas was that all living things in nature had a spirit, which was a way to say that you appreciate that rock. It's not just a rock. As a matter of fact, if you go back, even in the Bach saga, do you remember how they said they were going to build with stones, but they would not cut a living stone? That idea. Now, when you hear that, you're thinking, what does that mean, right? Um, but what they did is they gathered stones from riverbeds and things because they literally wouldn't desecrate the stone nature made, the stone outcropping or something. Now, that's a higher appreciation of the natural world. Uh, I think we're far beyond that now, but, uh, you know, it's a milestone we could get back to. Right now, uh, you know, and I worked for construction companies recently, and, you know, the truth is, even the one I worked for, where I was pushing for all these concerns about the living things, like if there's animals there, don't just bulldoze them. Have guys there that can move them off somewhere safe. Even if it's a snake, uh, I don't care. I even went out on sites to go move a gopher snake or a rattlesnake so that someone wouldn't whack it with a shovel, trying to instill that, hey, man, you're disturbing a nature here that's <laughs> never in our lifetimes going back. Have some respect. And they tried to recycle all these things. But the truth is, to this day, what we do is we come in with heavy equipment and we scrape the earth off. And then we change it for good. Then we cover it with concrete and blacktop. Most of the things we're using are not easily turned back into nature. But the truth of it is, is all that's out the window if you want to talk about millennia. Because in a few thousand years, anything we've made eventually will be turned back. Um, but this is the idea of maybe part of the idea of how the world was taken over is by the narrowing and narrowing and re-narrowing of human lives from nature. The idea of paganism as used by the Vatican as an insult is a key representational idea of that. If you want to know the, the, the actual meaning when it was implemented, it was people who lived close to nature or some variation on that meaning. Um, what they turned it into was, you folks are ungodly. So basically, these people understood the example of righteous perfection in nature, and then they were ridiculed for it until they bought on to whatever the Vatican was selling. 
And that permeated right up into the natural age. And it goes to show again the power of how we think about things, the power of branding and marketing and message control, which again is being echoed all over our world right now. Look out your window and start counting masks if you want to see the power in action right now. So this too permeates into our language when we say things like positive and negative, and that's kind of what we were talking about in a language that no longer has gender or any subtlety. Most people say negative, it means bad, and that's really not the case when we bring it back over to nature. Here's another excerpt that's trying to inform you something about gender, which is the thing we've heavily lost. It's been basically all piled under the moniker of sex in Western culture for the most part. Um, at this point in time, but I assume that will work out before long. A newborn, a newborn infant symbolizes the acquisition of a new truth. A newborn male infant is positive truth pertaining to the outer life and earthly affairs. A female infant symbolizes the acquisition of a new truth pertaining to spiritual things. For the female is always negative on the physical plane, but positive on the spiritual, while the male is positive on the physical and negative in the spiritual. Um, when you start to hear a human life described in this way, for most Western ears, we've never heard an idea like this put forth. So the first thing you're going to say is, is it true? Is there anything I can hang my hat on here? I would suggest you could hang your hat on this all day long, because I've spent years coming to realize what the true meaning of positive and negative is. And it's not good and bad. And the true actuality about nature is that you can choose to go to the dark side of the force and you're not violating nature. And yet most of us think that that's an absolute breaking of the rules. It's not. It just isn't. Bad things happen here. The reason is, is because we live in a material plane of duality. That means every good thing that can happen, a bad thing can happen. It's that simple. That means for us to have new life, we're going to need a male and a female. That means to have light, we're going to need dark. It goes on and on and on, the examples. And when you begin to realize what you weren't told and how you could think about these things, um, bigotry begins to leave your mind. Appreciation begins to grow for this natural world. And when you're thinking, my God, how did any of this get here? How did any of this come to be? And how come we're not all asking the question from the moment we're old enough to realize? You know, you could read accounts of the honeybee, um, the first guy who realized that I could put food out and this bee goes back to the hive, does a dance, and all these others, here's where the word comes from, beeline right to the food. How did that, <clears throat> how did that come to pass? What created that? specificity that is almost beyond belief. And by the way, is there a biological compass and clock in every one of those bees? And by the way, they're doing the dance in the dark inside a hive. And by the way, when the guys testing these ideas turned the hive vertical, so it was no longer a level plane, it worked just as well. The bees translated into the vertical position, doing their dance just east of the angle of the sun in the vertical position. How can we know things like this and not have so much more appreciation for where we are and what we should be doing here and what we don't know that we should know about what we should be in here? And in that is almost the entirety of the age of the fall because TV is now important and buying things and having money and materialism at a level gone insane. 
And I will further point out that it is my earnest point of view with many years of study that the material age started maybe a hundred years before the Renaissance. That's what that's where it began. And you can tie it to banking all day long. And we all know where banking gets tied to at the highest levels, don't we? And so when we know these things, it should not be a surprise who was running the Vatican, who was creating the Renaissance art, all of it hermetic, kind of dark side hermetic, a lot of it, or selfish hermetic, a lot of it. Um, in the duality of this world, always the knife can create something beautiful or it can do damage. It's no different with any other teaching in this world. Um, so we, we begin to understand how did we get here? Well, there was a fall. Where did that fall really certainly begin? For me, somewhere in the neighborhood of the Renaissance, just hyper-materialism coming to bear. This new form of banking that was going to put a damn value and a price tag on every portion of nature. That's how it started from my point of view. So basically, a lot of the things that we've covered had to do with things that are so obviously used by us every day that we never take the time to look at. And in light of the last episode where we did a little bit with numbers, let's reconsider um, the 9-11 idea, which is branding and lies, basically. No different than what the Vatican was up to all those years ago. Making stuff up to lower the, the populace into a position where they could control them. Well, nine is the completion idea. and almost all places, the idea of 10 is perfection. So now do you understand why it's 9-11, why the 10 is skipped? Because they're telling lies. There is no perfection in what they're doing, and yet they're informing you. They're jumping ages here, and we don't have a good way to know. Uh, we, we're, I guess we're reasonably sure that the age shift was coming. We don't know a lot about it, and you'll see a lot of people come to comment to tell you all the things you don't know, but I'll say it again. Yeah? What's the date? Give me something I can hang my hat on because saying it doesn't make it true. We need more than that. And as an example of this idea in the key of destiny is the third place where you will find them say, among the ancients, the Zodiac had but 10 signs instead of 12. As at present, Virgo, Libra, and Scorpio being considered as one sign back in this time. The first place I found it was in Latin. And luckily, I can read enough Latin that I recognize the words Virgo, Scorpius, and I forget what Libra, how Libra was written. Um, but I recognized it, so I set about translating it. And there it was, the same idea that there were 10 signs. So, um, And I, I just threw that in so people will know if they want to try to cite it, part of how I got there. Because I try to find three indistinct or distinct versions of each other. But going back to the 9-11 idea, um, they're playing by rules, aren't they? If you're going you know, you would almost think if you're going to lie your way through, then just lie about everything. But that's really not the way they're doing it. For whatever reason, there are rules at some level that they will not violate. And so it's even encoded in the 9-11 idea. We're going to do nine, which is the completion. We're going to skip 10, which is perfection, because we're doing this with lies Nature shows us all day long. It doesn't lie its way to where it's going. And then we're going to get into the 11 idea, which I'm going to take one more definition run at here. And just to put a fine point on the idea of the 9 and the 11, there are other examples that we can look up, which will say things like this about the number 11. Or it may be likened to the apprentice taking his first position as a journeyman, earning a man's wage, and looking forward to building up a business on his, of his own. His success will depend upon how much skill and business training he has attained during the cycles 
of the apprenticeship, one to 10. Number 11, in this sense, may be called the number of reincarnation, a reincarnation in consciousness, if not in body. For we pass through many deaths of ideas and many births into new consciousness in one physical life period. Kabbalistically, number 11 is called the beginning of the whirling motion, the turning of the wheel of time, and the beginning of a new cycle. Again, considered as the number of reincarnation. And this last couple of lines will damn near reflect one-to-one with what Walter Russell showed us in the Universal One, I would estimate, Jason. Well, that's a pretty interesting way for it to be backed up, isn't it? Well, you can see this, you know, this is a new idea. They're, they're killing off, you know, the one through nine, you know, the, the, or they're calling it a complete, however they're doing it. The 11 is, is what's next. And it's like an, an idea reincarnation, which also reflects the age or the cycles that we talked about as 11 through 22. And by the way, in the last recording, I, I listened back a little bit. I kept saying 11 through nine because I'm so used to saying 9-11, I should have been saying 11 through 22. So there were a bunch of loose ends of things that I forgot, and because my notes are so damn all over the place, and I'm looking at uh, hundreds of pages in a Word doc here, basically, um, we wanted to get some of these things wrapped up. But when we come back, we may cover even things like the, the deck of playing cards. There's another thing we all see every day, and we have no idea it's a representation of the Zodiac. It's a representation of the seasons, the calendar, and the year. Um, we're going to get into other things and uh, other ideas, but there it is. We hope you join us for hour two. Again, I don't think we're we're running this uh, first part on on YouTube. I'm just I'm tired of being threatened, and I'm tired of being punched for things I shouldn't be punched for. So we'll probably put up a bumper. This will run free on crow777radio.com. Join us in the free speech zone for hour two at crow777radio.com. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing. Come.